You're listening to a bonus episode of the Accounting Influencers Podcast, Talent in Accounting, with Rob Brown. This is your access to world-class accounting leaders, global influencers, and thought leaders. Discover what makes accounting firms great and accounting professionals world-class. Rob Brown here, your host with a Talent in Accounting special. And I'm thrilled to have me today back for the second time, Trisha Dayho. Hello there. Hi, nice to meet you. Trisha, we've got you on for a second time because the episode you did with the last time was fascinating. We were talking about the key drivers in talent and culture in accounting. Would you summarize for our listeners some of the key things we talked about there? Sure, we talked about um, what are the compelling reasons people are engaging in this kind of work. So why are people focused on culture building, on talent acquisition, retention. What is the what is driving that most of that? Who are the drivers of that? Um, basically, you've got a situation where you've got not enough conventional talent um, to fill the needs of the firms that are growing fast in most countries around the world. And you have people leaving sooner than they should, you know, uh, the highest performers to, to, to pursue something else because it's just not considered a very innovative space to spend a whole career in. So what do we do? How do we solve those issues? And that's culture building and leadership development, things like that. And I called it a tsunami. You called it a storm. You're a little bit more gentle, but the point is that this is coming, isn't it? Yes, we've got talent issues now and it's not going away. We've got leadership and cultural issues in professional firms and maybe archaic business models that are not fit for purpose. So against that backdrop, this episode, we're going to get under the hood, if you like, of the nuts and bolts of what good looks like in an accounting firm. So let's kick off by asking about about inclusion. It's important that professional firms are diverse in their outlook, in their representation. Talk to us about how inclusion has become such a buzzword for professional firms. Well, I call it the inclusion experience. So if you just take my own uh, personal experience, I was given a ton of work to do in a very um, varied way with my experience in a big four accounting firm from the very beginning. So tons of work, tons of client opportunities, all those things. Was that good, Tricia? Were you happy with that? Is that what you wanted? I loved that. I thrived on that. Um, but as I moved up in the firm, I didn't get, this is a, this is a good example because I say this all the time. I was just told, keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> I wasn't given a lot of feedback, um, constructive feedback. And I certainly wasn't perfect. So a lot of that I had to figure out on my own. I didn't really have mentorship. I had to figure it out on an island. I was moved to different regions of the country to, to help them build businesses in other regions of the country new players that aren't really invested in what I was doing or not, except by, by the numbers. Um, and by the time I got to senior manager partner, um, I could see much more that I wasn't getting invited to a lot of meetings where my male counterparts were always getting invited and things I had to do with my own career. So there's an exclusionary experience that's happening for a lot of people in firms. It doesn't feel like it because no one intends to exclude, but it's still happening. And what inclusion is all about is how do we provide a truly custom inclusion experience for each person that comes to us. So, you know, our mandate as a firm is our own firm is kind of a covenant between the employee that comes in and the employer. If I am bringing you into my firm, I promise to help you reach your fullest potential. And you as a candidate promise to come to our firm and do your best to meet your fullest potential with us. And if we had that idea about it, and we knew that we had to make it different for each singular person that comes in, and still be fair across the board strategically, we would have a whole different environment. We would have way better retention. We would have more productive employees. We would have employees that have figured out work-life balance better, but they're all going to need something different. And they're going to, if they look different, they're likely going to have things about 
the way they, they engage with the world that is different and needs different consideration. For example, I know there's a really um, well-known uh, diversity consultant here in Chicago. His name is Xavier Ramey. He's a black man that grew up in the South side of Chicago. There's a lot of um, it, uh, inner city work with youth, with black youth in the city. When we had our co first conversation, he said to me, there's just such a lack of understanding of what people might need because we're not asking the right questions. And his example was, I do a lot of youth work in the inner city and I have to go to a lot of funerals. So I need bereavement time to go do that stuff. He needs a different thing that I would need and a different thing than you would need. It's okay to work within the parameters of we're going to make sure people have what we need to be successful. And that's good enough to get you where you need to go with, with the culture. We're starting to see the explosion of the phrase employer brand. Now, listeners will be familiar with corporate brand. That's your external face, how you say attract clients and talk about how great your firm is and why they should hire you and your service lines and your values. We've got personal brand, which accountants will know increasingly. That's how you come across as an individual, your character, your personal reputation, your, your network. But employer brand, this is to what degree you're attractive to potential candidates and staff. So how does Trisha Deho in, define employer brand? Employer brand is basically your branding around whether I would be drawn to your firm by what I see is your, your ex exemplification of, your brand, of who you are. So it needs to be authentic or you're going to have a massive retention issue. <laughs> um, it needs to be compelling and it needs to be differentiate among all the firms that are functioning in your same geography usually. So I don't see many people doing that that really well. Um, once they become intentional around it, the, the beautiful thing is that your employer brand actually feeds your client brand and vice versa. It should not be different for those two things. But what you cannot do is is have a website, for example, that shows your leadership and says, we love to have women in diversity and everyone in the leadership is a white guy. Um, <laughs> can't speak two different things. It's okay to be, I'm very much about being authentic and honest. We want to change the way this is and we want you to be a part of that. And this is why we think you'd be great at being a part of that. Be honest about it, but you can't have disconnections between those two things. There's too much available information about you and your firm and what's happening or not happening, that people are people will figure it out either before they join or shortly thereafter. You're talking about congruency there, aren't you? The delivering on your promises, what you say your firm is like to work for and, and what it's really like. I'm working with a, a very innovative firm in North Carolina, USA, to tell the stories of their people and amplify their employer brand. And the key consistent message that comes out is that when I was looking at this firm as a place to land, and, and put down some roots. It seemed too good to be true. The family atmosphere, the inclusivity, the opportunities. But when I got in, everything was true. Everything was real. Everything was authentic. And they really, really live it out. But sometimes you've got to get inside that. And it's it's differentiating yourself like that. I look at a million accounting firm websites, Trisha, and they all say the same things and make the same promises and, and have the same about us page. And how do you differentiate in all that? Well, I think that the... Having your own employees tell the story of why they're there and why they stay there and why it's been great for them is extremely compelling, um, especially if they're under the age of 40, let's say, um, because they're having an experience that is relevant to the people they're trying to get. Um, the, I don't, I really, I guess maybe I'm an altruist. I believe that you have a compelling um, story about who you are and why you're differentiated that usually you haven't really identified for yourself. That's actually what you're meant to do. You're meant to draw it out. 
um, and that most places can be differentiated on something compelling to the people they want. Um, if you don't, then you've got to do some other work. Um, <laughs> uh, you have to make yourself more compelling to make your work on innovation, work on the things that your people want to see, uh, work on your client service journey and how they engage with it, all those things. And I think most firms are not intentional about it. Their, their intentions are good, but they're not intentional about it. And if they can be intentional about it, it'll have massive impact. I mean, I, I, you know, we worked with a, a firm, um, not in the accounting industry space. They were actually a private wealth firm, although private wealth firms are now getting into accounting firms. Um, all they did was change their brand drastically and, and narrow in on what they most wanted. And they grew by 56% in 14 months. That's it. When you think about the landscape and being the first or the, the first of a very small handful that's willing to get out there with compelling messages about what they differentiate themselves against, they're going to do really, really well because everyone else is not saying anything interesting or compelling. So right now, it's, it's an amazing time to actually be focused on this stuff because you're going to you're going to reap massive benefits. It's funny how you said all firms need to do to differentiate is, and then you use the word radically, which would scare off most professionals <laughs> because their accountants as a breed, they're very risk averse, they're very traditional and conservative in their approach. So anything with the word radical in it doesn't go down well, but I, I take your point. When we ask Gen X's and millennials, and you've talked to them all the time, Tricia and Yorul, what they want to see from a potential employer, it is that narrative. It is a story, a journey that they can buy into and become a, a significant part of and contribute to, isn't it? They must see themselves succeeding in your space. And if they can't see themselves succeeding in your space, they don't want to come. There are way too many options now for them to do that. Um, so, you know, I guess, yes, I did use the word radical, but what I would say is be radically yourselves in the best possible way. And that's differentiating you. I don't think most accounting firms even fully understand what compels people to stick around. They know why they're still there, but they don't know why their people are still there. And they're not asking. Yeah, it's more discovery of who you already are rather than I have to change radically to get anybody to come here. That's not really it. And you're on the record of saying that exit interviews are no good. They don't tell you anything because nobody's going to tell you the truth. You've got to get to people... What are those early signs of disengagement, Tricia, that employers and leaders should be looking out for in their firms? Yeah. Well, um, never coming to the office at all. Okay. The communications are down. I'm just providing work and getting work done. There's not real engagement. There's not any social, you know, actually, we've done so many surveys on culture with accounting firms in the last couple of years. And one of the most amazing things to me is that one of the things people miss most is social interaction with each other even especially accountants like that's not supposed to be surprising right so they're missing the social connections they're missing um that kind of that kind of tutelage that happens in the organic way of doing work um and so if you can be intentional about how you're doing that your employer branding starts to create a story because it's real about who you really are I just think most firms aren't really, they're kind of sleepwalking through who they really are, not really focusing on how that's intentional and how to message it back. When I talk to some firms about how they develop the people, and this speaks to retention, Tricia, which you've admitted is so important. Employees want a good balance of having their hands on the steering wheel of their own career and being able to proactively suggest where they want to go. But they also want some proactivity from the firm themselves to say, hey, do you know this is possible? And why don't you try this? And I see that you might be really good here. And here's an experience for you. And let's give you some more responsibility here. So there's a balance there, isn't there, that would really appeal to a, a millennial or a Gen X, a Gen Z? Absolutely. Yes. I think a lot of leaders, unfortunately, have the mindset that they must retain a certain level of 
power over the work that they're having done and their client relationships. Um, when in fact, really great leaders are simply replacing themselves. And if you can, you can approach it that way and that I want you to be even more extraordinary at doing this than I am, that you're going to have massive growth in your firm. It's just that that doesn't happen very much. You know, honestly, the biggest success stories I had at my old firm were that I developed enormously effective leaders and they've gone on to do really amazing things either in the firm or outside the firm. Um, and so if we can have the mindset that my real job as a leader is not to hoard a client relationship, hoard knowledge, hoard whatever, but to make other people extraordinary based on what I know how to do and what I know of them and what they want to accomplish, that is a beautiful, magical thing. It just doesn't happen that much. You've been in this game 20, 25 years now. Is it harder to be a leader now than it used to be? Or is it actually easy? I think it's harder. Why is it harder? There's a few things driving that. Um, our skill sets around leadership are really meant for in-office teams. So the whole hybrid thing is kind of throwing a massive, a massive wrench in the whole thing. Um, and we don't have the communication skills built up yet to handle leading people from many different locations. I think that'll, that'll fill itself out in the next few years, but we're not there yet. The other thing is that we're, we have a massive change in the culture of all the countries that we live in. And <clears throat> so many people that are coming to our firms aren't of the opinion that what they really want is to work 75 hours a week, eke out some kind of tiny personal life and make partner and they're much more vast and diverse as far as what they want out of their careers and how they want to engage with those careers. And I'm not sure that we as leaders have caught up with that and, and found a way to be um, attractive and compelling for what they want to accomplish. There's a place for them because um, we know what you want. It's kind of the alignment. I always talk about this alignment between the firm vision and my own personal vision for myself. Are they aligned? Am I reminding you how they're aligned? Am I letting you change your path based on your changing vision and still fitting you into our firm somewhere that where you can be really effective and successful. I don't think that's happening to the extent that it needs to. If firms are going to be successful in the talent war to attract both of the incoming, the, the bottom end, if you like, those new young fresh bloods are very diverse natures and those lateral hires you refer to, those senior people that are strategic hires, we call them sometimes in the UK, that are at partner level and looking for a different work-life balance or a different approach. If firms are going to be successful in attracting those kind of people, what do they need to be doing, Trisha? You've highlighted a few of the things, but if you're putting a plan together or a checklist of three or four things that they really needed to get started on, what would be on it? They need to define how the work gets done, first of all. How are we getting work? What is our client service journey? At what point are you doing what things? in your career, um, can it be reimagined? Do we know, I got the chance to talk to clients on day one of my career and do a variety of different things, presentations and number crunching and writing and all these different things. Um, maybe everyone doesn't want to do that, but do we have the bandwidth as a firm and what we do every day to appeal to a variety of people? And what does that look like? How do we onboard? Onboarding is huge right now. Do we onboard effectively? Do we even know if we're doing it effectively? Um, I think mostly what we do is we, we say to ourselves, well, they got this done in five hours and it should only have taken them about five hours and it's right, so we're, we must be doing a good job. There's so much more to that onboarding experience than can I technically get the work done and use the software? Um, our leaders and how we train our leaders and what we expect of our leaders needs to transform a little bit. Um, gone are the days, or almost gone, of, are the days of, we, we think you're great because you have a great book of business, even if you treat everyone horribly and people are falling off 
left and right because you're not a very good leader. That's Those days are gone. We're expecting more of our leaders now than we ever have. And for good reason, but it's going to take some ramping up of acumen and intentionality around what we're doing. It used to be back in the day that as a potential leader, you learned on the job. You got around your peers, you walked the corridors with them, you had lunch with them. Hybrid working has changed that, hasn't it? Remote working. Leaders are saying, look, I can't bring through other leaders. I can't mentor and coach them and, and teach them on the job because they're just not here. How do we square that circle? Well, you you have occasions to bring them here. <laughs> you have occasions to have deep conversations like we're having now on, on uh, digital uh, internet conversations. Thankfully, we've got the technology to work remotely, haven't we? Yeah, we do. I mean, my life, my life is going to change drastically by the end of the year. I'll be in another country most of the time. So we can do this stuff from anywhere. And that includes developing relationships. I think it's hardest when you're onboarding new people. They did it. They did it through, through COVID when they had to. Um, but there's, there's some reckoning around having deep conversations and culture building that is still lacking a little bit. And we're going to get there. It, it takes a different level of skill sets that I think we have to develop to get there. Um, but yeah, I think most of it is around how am I engaging with people meaningfully for them? What is the impact I'm having on them? So intention does not equal impact. It's actually in my signature line of my email. Um, how am I impacting my own people? And will they tell me the truth about how they're being impacted so I can change the way I'm doing things? Because frankly, the complicated part is that every single person needs something different from you as a leader. And if you can tune into that, you'll have an amazing team that is very high, highly functional. One of the biggest reasons people leave a job is because of their direct report, their relationship with their boss, a bad boss, a bad leader, a bad manager. You, you're nodding your head at that one. Talk to us a little bit more about the retention piece and what it takes for somebody to leave a job, to leave a firm. Well, if you think about the highly motivated employees that want to ride the ladder up in their careers, if they feel like they're being thwarted or their lives are miserable because the leaders they're working for, they're going to leave. Those people are going to be wanted by everyone. Um, so, you know, we have to be, we have to measure leaders on how good they are as leaders. We measure most leaders on their hard skills. Are they technically astute? Do they clients serve well? And do they bring the revenue in? Um, that doesn't even get anywhere near what are they like with their own people? Um, so you have to measure it. What are my retention percentages in my, in my department? Um, and people get scared when I say things like that. When I say you got a massive retention problem in your tax practice, um, what does a leadership look like? What experiences are people having? It gets really interesting because that is why people leave. People don't leave because they want giant increases in their salary or completely, most of the benefits are the same whether, regardless of where you go. They leave because they're experiencing, the experience they're having with the people who they work for is not good. It's that simple, but it's very complicated to fix if you're willing to reward people that are not even focused on the people to begin with. Um, and that's a shift, that's a massive shift. I'm aware that a lot of professional firms that get this right will still have a shortfall in the vacancies they have and the people out there coming in for interview or even submitting resumes. So what's your opinion on outsourcing, Tricia, and other alternative methods of increasing capacity? I think it's absolutely necessary for many firms right now. The thing that I think could be improved greatly in outsourcing arrangements is making the outsourced professionals a part, an important, meaningful part of, their, of your culture, um, not kind of a, a secondary contractor that you don't really have a lot of engagement with otherwise. 
if you can bring people in, you get way better results. They understand the way you communicate better, all those other things. And it has a massive impact on the productivity and your client results and everything else, retention. So I think it's, it's a necessary thing to have happen. It's a great way to expand your ability um, beyond what you have currently sitting in your, in your firm. But I think where the gap is right now is that we're not assuming those people are part of our team and how they, how they actually interact with our culture. And if we could do that, it would be a way better experience. Talk to our audience a little bit more about what you do at Empowered and how you help firms, Tricia. We focus on everything from soup to nuts. So we do a, what we call assessment, which is survey, design, and implementation. It's focus groups. It's one-on-one interviews. It's leadership sessions. Because you can't make strategic decisions without the right intelligence, can you? And we get such rich information from that with such a little bit of investment that really informs what we do next, which is a combination of all kinds of things, but often includes talent acquisition strategies, retention strategies, culture building strategies, leadership development strategies, um, leadership development in and of itself, coaching around how you become more inclusive leaders or how you actually effectuate equity across the firm, um, how you derive more diversity out of, out of your talent acquisition efforts. So it's, it's kind of soup to nuts. The only thing we don't do is massive data dumps on stuff and analysis, but it's, you know, in the middle market, that's not really required. When I talk to our guests around talent, I ask them, particularly those in accounting firms, whose responsibility is it to bring talent into the firm? And the common answer comes up, well, it's marketing. They do employer brand, they do all the branding, or it might be one or two of the partners, but very few people are willing to take responsibility across the board that it's everyone's job, but you would hold that, wouldn't you? I absolutely would. And I think that having marketing in charge of that is actually really problematic. Uh, I think you have to have a kind of a combination team of leadership, HR, and marketing. Um, and it is everyone's job. And if you can do that consistently, we talked a while back about how culture becomes ingrained and it becomes habit at some point. And it's really important to have that when you're a, a professional services firm. Um, because the people are the product. If you can effectuate, this is everyone's responsibility and everyone needs to be singing this messaging from the rooftops. You're going to have a much better experience and you're going to find people in, in places you never thought would, would produce great candidates. As we close, Tricia, let's have a, a motivational message from you to the accountants out there that are having second thoughts about whether they've chosen the right career path. They see a lot of mess and, and busyness, heavy workload, Maybe they are recalibrating what they're doing and, and not perhaps quite quitting because they're very diligent people. But what would you say to them about how exciting the accounting profession is to work in? And there are great opportunities. And if you don't like where you are, then you've got options. There are so many options. I, honestly, I don't come from a typical background. And I have had an enormously good career in the accounting industry, um, doing a, a vast array of things that included many different kind of technical acumens to do writing and number crunching and understanding tax code and understanding client dynamics and understanding my own teams and how to motivate them. It's a vast career. And there are so many things you can do with it. You can, you can become CFO, you can become CEO somewhere. You can, you can go to a government entity and work. You can, there's a million things to do with an accounting degree. Um, so think of, you know, try to align what you most want for yourself and what you want to be doing every day with the vast array of things you can be doing in the accounting industry because it is not one size fits all. And there are so many different places you can go and be successful. Exciting times, but scary times, Tricia, for the firms that 
either can't see what needs to be done or won't do what needs to be done. They're in trouble, aren't they? Yes, they absolutely are. You need to be cognizant of this. I know it's 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 because of the way most accountants are wired that they're most focused on changing regulations and changing marketplace and how I get clients. But the people side of this, those firms that don't have a strategy around people are going to suffer enormously in the next 10 years. We heard it here. Trisha Deho, that's been exceptional. Thank you so much for your time and your insights today. Thank you for having me. You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. 